Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them and they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. This is Jackie Scully, and today we have Allison Teicher-Farbach with us. And I'm so excited to interview Allison today because she has a remarkable story. When we met on Zoom a few weeks ago, um, this was my face the whole time. (laughs) So I am really excited. Um, She is an educator in New York. She's um, an ESL coordinator, soul-centered education reformer was a title that really drew me in because all about like education reform and and coming from a very um, authentic place, Uh, director of curriculum development and a co-host of the Inner You podcast. So another fellow podcaster. So exciting to have you here, Allison. Thank you. So excited to be here. Thank you so much. This is so cool. It is so cool. Um, I am ready for the stories. I think it's going to be great. And I think the listeners will be in awe of you um, as we get into this. So my first question for you is, uh, was there some inspiration that came to you to get into education or teaching in any way early in your life or later on? So the ongoing joke in my family is that we have the last name Teicher. If you take the I and swap it out with an A, you're teacher and you're branded for life. Um, I'm actually the 40th teacher in my family on the Teicher side. So, and that wasn't intentional. I mean, when I was in kindergarten, uh, at that point, my mother taught me how to read and write and do all these different things. And I fell in love with books right away. And I had a kindergarten teacher, Miss Perone, and she had laryngitis one day and she would always read to us in our entire class. And she'd sit in the big rocking chair and we'd gather around on the carpet. And it was, it was such a just core memory. Mm. And one day when she had laryngitis, she said, okay, guys, I guess I can't read to you today. You know, we'll, we'll color instead. And I, I popped up and I said, I'll read to the class. And you would think maybe a five-year-old would not be able to read a full book to a room of five-year-olds. And she said, sure, go ahead, go, go for it. Let's, let's see what you can do. And I go, I pick out green eggs and ham by Dr. Seuss. Everyone comes over to the carpet instinctively and I'm sitting on the chair and I'm holding the book up next to me as if I'm teaching the class. And as I was reading the book to the class and everyone's eyes were lighting up because they got to be a part of story time for the day. I saw my teacher look at me very confused and she called my mom and said, did you know your daughter could read? And my mother goes, yes, I knew she could read. I I taught her how to read. And she goes, that's amazing. And I just really loved that moment watching everyone get so excited over the book I was reading. And it could have been anything. We could have been doing anything, but there's so much power in learning and reading and writing and education. And so many people in this world do not have the advantage or the ability to read or to write and learning, reading, writing, understanding a language, they're superpowers Mm. in themselves. So if you are fortunate to be able to read or write, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And I wanted to 
help people create that as an educator. So mm. I always said to myself when I was in high school that I really love my English classes. And we would read these crazy books and do these crazy things. And over the years, I started really realizing, you know what? I want to be an English teacher. And I went through college. And the first day I stepped into a classroom, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is this is cool. Mm. This is awesome. This is awesome that I get to share my passion with students. And English may not be everybody's favorite subject. And that's understandable. And I said to myself, I'm going to accept any and every student as they are, wherever they are, and help in some form, shape, or way. Even mm -hmm. if education is not their favorite thing in the world, let's see what we can create. And let's see how I can help this student help themselves. Yeah. And understand that life does not just exist within school. There's so much more in this world. Once you graduate, let's just find what lights you up, what sparks your soul, what sets you on fire in a positive way. And then let's let's help you find your path and your way in life. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. And I, it's all about timing sometimes because that moment of the teacher not being able to read and speak gave you an opportunity to say, well, let me try this out. And you got that little taste of being a teacher at five years old. And it kind of then stayed with you, particularly thinking about reading and English. And I love this message of being able to read and write and learn and have access to education is a superpower. And it is a privilege because there's places around the world where we can talk about even just women, right? Mm -hmm. And like, look at like what's just happened with Afghanistan after yes. um, the war ended and we left is that now we're seeing young women not having access to education. So mm -hmm. it is a right and it is something that is a superpower. And I think that's a beautiful message and, and being a person that's like, I want to be there for all types of kids. And we'll get into this mm -hmm. um, throughout the interview about the types of kids you work with and you yes. do work with kids from all different backgrounds yeah. and love all of them and come to them where meet them where they are and that is such a gift there's not a lot of teachers that have that innately in them to want to have that drive to meet kids where they are all from all different backgrounds so it's really beautiful um English was not my favorite subject early <laughs> on but when I got to high school, I had some really awesome uh, English teachers and I excelled from being in like the lower level English in middle school to being in honors and then fell, fell kind of in love with it. And I went to history, but I've just mm -hmm. humanities in general. And yeah. I love working with English teachers. Like we do a lot of collaboration. So I'm right there with you. Um, any early on stories or any moments you want to share in your early years of teaching? It doesn't have to be your first year or can be um, that you would like to share. I have some crazy stories that I think people would not believe. I, I mean, stories from, you know, creating one of my students a couple of years ago, my first year. So I, I'm an English teacher and I also teach ESL and do a bunch of things with ESL. And my first year teaching two days before school started, I was told, congratulations, you're the forensic science teacher. And I went, what? Okay, let's do it. And I looked at the curriculum and I said, okay, this is manageable. And I had students in my class who were going to be forensic science majors and wanted to do things mm -hmm. in forensics. And here I am, first year teacher going, oh, 
<laughs> this is going to be good. So <laughs> I would do different activities with the kids. We were on the lawn at some point throwing paint on on piece of paper as like a blood spatter thing. And mm -hmm. then uh, we did some sort of viral video challenge. The kids saw something online. They said, can we do it? And I said, sure, let's do it. And I went to my principal and I said, can we do it? And she goes, sure, why not? Have fun with it. And we would do crazy, crazy stuff in that class. In my first year as well, I also, I, I've been fortunate to work in a school that's based on the Renzulli model. So it's a school-wide enrichment model. And students get a lot of choice in the electives they take and the projects they do. So I taught mass media and communications my first year as well, on top of teaching forensic science and English. And we had an entire unit on creating music. And I told the kids, okay, we're going to go from music all the way back in the Stone Age to what you think music would sound like to what music would sound like nowadays. And kids were creating crazy different things, banging on the desks and making noises and grunting and songs and rap music. And we did such insane stuff, but the kids had fun. Mm -hmm. And no matter who you were, you were welcome in that classroom to just be yourself and express yourself and try things that maybe you're not too confident in, but you had a room full of 30 something people who were applauding you and cheering you yeah. on and shouting your name. And it was, that class was hysterical. And even in my English classes, we've had moments where we have debates and I had a student who would come in and he believed he was Tony Montana from Scarface and he would reenact scenes. I mean, and that's a pretty, yeah, you know, <laughs> risque movie. But he would come in and he'd be like telling the class stories about how he had meatballs and spaghetti on salami Sundays, and it was just hysterical. And then in my AP psychology class, years later, I had a student who brought in a plastic skeleton by the name of Jeremyana. And it was hysterical because we set the skeleton up in the middle of class with a notebook and a pen and a, a wig and a school t-shirt. And I taught the skeleton with, with the class and they were all laughing and taking pictures and, and cracking up thinking this was the funniest thing. And then I would call on the skeleton in class and say, Jeremy, you're going to need to speak up. And they would, they would burst out laughing. And <laughs> some of the this. kids would come up to me and say, why are you letting this happen? And I'm like, well, why not? why can't we just have some fun in the class like we know we're yeah. learning psychology or english and we're, we're preparing for a college level exam we're preparing for the regions mm. i have students who do not come from well let me say it this way some students come from very challenging situations whether it's coming from a home where there's a single parent or parents who are working all the time i have some students who are in charge of their younger siblings I have students who live in a one bedroom apartment with their parents, grandparents, everyone. And I fully understand that sometimes in class, you're not always going to want to focus on, hmm, what is Hamlet doing today in the play? Or, mm -hmm. oh, what are we reading today? You're focusing on survival. So I always wanted to create a classroom environment where kids can come in and understand, hey, you're going to have a bad day. And a couple of years ago, I had a student come in and he was just devastated. He had such a bad day. And I told him, listen, it's a bad day, but not a bad life. Right now, things suck and things are, things are hard. Mm. But it's not going to always be like this. And mm -hmm. tomorrow, things may be the same. 
or five minutes from now, things may change. Who, who knows? And I always say to my students, is it going to matter in five minutes? Will it matter in five months? Will it matter in five years? And a lot of times with what my students are going through, yes, things will matter in five years. But we always try to figure out ways to create a solution. Because yes, you may not be able to deal with certain things and struggles in life. However, there's a way to cope or a way to manage situations. And you may not be in control of your family members, your friends, the teachers in your school, whomever that you're, you're speaking to, but you're in control of yourself. And if you can focus on your emotions, your reactions, which trust me, it's very hard to do sometimes, then you can figure out a way to move through life. Mm. Sometimes successfully, but I mean, what is success? And sometimes things may be pretty rough, but you can keep going. And I'm not mm. saying this in just the fluffy, like you can keep going. Everything is yeah. wonderful. Cause not everything's not always wonderful. It's life. It's, it's chaotic. Mm. Things happen. But if you set yourself up in the mindset of, Hey, I can work through this. I may not be able to solve this right now, but someday, one day mm. I'll figure it out. If I keep working towards what I want to do. Yeah. And, uh, so this piece that you're talking about with like the advice you give to your students, to me, that's the core of being an educator. We teach subjects. Okay. So you went to school to be an English teacher and now <laughs> you're teaching forensic mm -hmm. AP psychology. Hey, mm -hmm. AP psychology. Yay. I love it. Um, and mass media communication. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. In your first year, what yeah. a load. I can't imagine. Like I just got you know, something thrown at me when I was in my first years of teaching, when I went to Hawaii and they're like, you're going to teach Hawaiian history and Pacific Island studies. And I'm like, oh. oh, oh, okay. And I'm a white person <laughs> teaching local students. So this is, this is going to go well. I better know my stuff. And mm -hmm. the first year was awful, um, but they taught me. And I would mm -hmm. tell them like, you're teaching me as much as I'm teaching you, if not more, especially with this information. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you teach content, you make it fun, you make it playful. I like this idea of like, let's just be playful and fun. I think that joy in the classroom definitely needs to be more so infused in all classrooms. I think we're losing that, particularly through the pandemic and all the stress we put on kids. But it's also about, like I said earlier, meeting kids where they are mm -hmm. and talking to them like young adults. We both teach high school and respecting them in the way of like, you're a human being. And like, I'm not expecting you to be a robot and come into my class and turn everything off from your life and just perform. You know, we often think, well, that's how you're going to be in the workplace. Like when you go into the workplace, you'd get, leave your stuff at home and you got to put on the professional face and go at it. And there's a piece of that. Yes, you do need to do that. You can't always come to work with all of your stuff. But we're also humans and we need to know too when we need to take a mental health day or when we yeah. need to say, I need I need to be off right now because the work that I have to do, I might not be able to do my best because I'm having a lot of stuff going on. And I think we need to advocate for professionals and adults doing that. And then we need to model that for, for children so that they have that sense of agency, but they're kids. Yeah. They're kids. We can't tell them like, well, this is how it's going to be in the workplace. I'm like, they're teenagers yeah, and they're just learning and they're still developing and they're, they're managing all the emotions that they're going through in puberty and even right yeah. post puberty, all the hormones. It's a very 
difficult time just to be a teenager in general, even if you have the whole support system. And then you take away a lot of that support system, having a single parent, being in a in an apartment with your whole entire extended family. You also teach mm-hmm. um, migrant children, right? Yeah. And going through being an immigrant and moving and coming into a society where you know there's going to be pushback and you feel like mm-hmm. you don't belong. And or ESL, you're an ESL coordinator. Like, I don't know this language very well. So there's so many other challenges and you're just a teenager that's trying to figure it out and you get it. And they don't teach you this in college, which I think that should, and this is something we can get into more with education reform, but Mm -hmm. there's so much more that should go into teaching training programs than just the subject and the pedagogy you're teaching using. It's so much more cognitive, social, emotional, development that like I think there should be more emphasis on that you get it naturally so your kids are so fortunate to have you you. um, because again they don't teach you that and not every teacher innately has that within them I don't know if there's more you want to share about just like where that comes from so I think throughout high school I always seemed to be the outcast or Mm -hmm. like I felt like there was something that was always missing, that I was maybe two steps ahead, but at the same time, two steps behind. And I always said to myself, and I had fantastic teachers who would let me sit with them during my lunch period, during my free period. I would always find something to do to help to this, that. And I was always talking to teachers and Mm -hmm. speaking with different adults. And I'm from a family teacher. So everything was always teaching, 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 talk, talk, talk. And I was picking up things slowly. And I remember when I was younger, I thought I had a very severe hearing problem because I could always hear on one side, but I could never hear on the right side. And I would always tell my teachers, I have a hearing problem. I'm going to sit this side. But then based on my last name, I had to sit alphabetically. And sometimes things just didn't work out. And I remember when I was younger, I was about eight years old. I went to a a hearing, an audiologist, and the audiologist said, you're going to repeat some words after me. And I said, okay. So I hear her saying some words, but I can't tell if it was cat or car or cup or car. And things just started to mush together. So I just wouldn't speak. And she came in and she told me, Allison, you can hear me. I know you can hear me. So just start saying the words. So I just started guessing when she was saying things because I knew yeah, yes, I can hear a noise, but I don't understand what this noise is. And throughout a series of different challenges in my life, I, I just would tell people, well, I my right ear doesn't work 100%. So sometimes I'll ask you to say something over and over again. I said, it's nothing personal. And I would tell the kids that even when I started teaching, I said, sometimes I just can't fully hear. So mm-hmm. the kids just said, okay. And I teach students with IEPs. I teach students with different challenges and language and at home and social emotional. I teach students who don't have a home, who live mm-hmm. in a hotel room or a shelter or some other crazy living arrangement. And they need compassion just as much as anyone else. And I'm not saying they need compassion just because they're going through something or don't understand the language or have an IEP, but we all need a bit of grace and compassion and joy and support because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And I have some students who straight A students, everything seems fine. They don't talk about anything. And yet they're going home and living in what looks like a closet mm-hmm. as, as their, 
their room because their parents are somewhere else or something's going on and their living space is is something that you wouldn't think would be a living space but that's their reality so when I grew older and I I started getting uh, decent health insurance I went back and I, I said listen let me let me figure this out because this is something's wrong and I need to find the solution not just it won't really change much, but it'll maybe help me understand why something's wrong with my ear. And I went to a children's hospital and sat in the little kid's chair and they did all these tests and they said, do you know you have a processing disorder? Hmm. And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, yes, you have a processing disorder. What do you do for work? I said, I'm an educator. They're like, how did you become an educator? You have that. You have a central auditory processing disorder. There is no way you can be an educator. I'm like, wow. Oh, well, I graduated valedictorian of my, you know, college cohort and I am going for my master's and I'm teaching in a public school in New York City. And they said, well, I don't know how that's possible. And now imagine I'm 20 something years old when that happened. But imagine being a kid, eight years Mm -hmm. old or seven or, or even teenager, and you're being told, well, how can you achieve or do anything in life if you have this IEP or how can you just and and people will tell people oh well you have a disability you have you know something it's it's all a matter of miscommunication and misunderstanding yeah just because you're neurodiverse or just because you don't know the language or just because you're struggling with something does not mean you don't have other gifts and talents mm-hmm. and wonderful things you can bring to the world so yes i struggle a little bit with my hearing but at the same time that doesn't mean I don't know how to do things. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean I'm, I can't publicly speak or do some things. Sometimes I just need someone to repeat something just to make sure I get a clear understanding of what's happening. And I told a couple of kids this because yeah. a lot of students were saying, oh, well, you know, I, I'm doing this in life and, and I, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't. And I'm like, why can't you? Why? Like what, what happened that, that you can't? And they'd give me some excuses and I'd say, well, that's something you can work through. Just because another person tells you, oh, no, you shouldn't be able to be a doctor because you don't speak this language. Who who says? Mm -hmm. Who says? So let's try and figure out how to make a situation where you can succeed. There have been students who come in not speaking a word of English and say, I want to play sports professionally. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I encourage them to find a way I won't find the way they have to find the way and I'm there for support and I work with a fantastic team of teachers who are consistently supporting students and and massive massive gratitude to them because Mm -hmm. without a team or support system behind you sometimes it can be really difficult to face a lot of the challenges so I know what's happened to me yet that's not going to be what changes my story and what I want to do with my life. It's something to be like, hey, I understand this and this is my solution. And I try to show students whether you're dealing with anger management issues, whether you're dealing with not wanting to go to school or not doing this or not doing that, you can still create a beautiful life for yourself. And I had a student who told me that he did not want to go to college and he is failing classes and state exams and all this different stuff because he said, well, what's the point? What's the point of me passing if I'm going to have to graduate high school and then go into college? And I said, you realize you don't have to go to college. And he goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, you don't have to go to college. There's, there's a different option. 
and I said, what do you like to do? And he's like, I like to dig in dirt. And someone might hear like, okay, a teenager likes to dig in dirt. Great. And I said, well, do you know you can go to a trade school and become an electrician or a plumber, all this stuff? And now he is making a very nice salary as a crane operator. And it's hysterical because, you know, there's such a narrative of you have, you must do this. You have to do this, but there's always another solution. Sometimes it's not the easiest solution and sometimes it's not the most available solution, but there is a way. Yeah, absolutely. And And I think you relate to kids because you're so human in what you've gone through. And so in a way, what you've gone through with your uh, processing, what did they call it? Processing? So it's central auditory processing disorder. Okay. But the funny thing is like, I, I never, I never saw it. Yeah. Never, you never saw I it. Never, I just thought I was uh, not deaf. Medicine and, and okay. <laughs> we can get into that with psychology. They just want to put yeah. labels on everything. They want to put labels yeah. on everything and then tell you what you can't do. Yeah. So then they can treat you, which makes money. That's what yes. it is. But it actually to, for you, it almost is like a superpower by having something difficult that you went through that actually wasn't that difficult for you because you found a way to live your life with this and have solutions that work for you. And now this becomes something where you can connect with kids and you can meet them again where they are and say like, hey, I've gone through something that was supposed to hold me back and be challenging. And I was even told like, how are you doing this? And I am doing it and I'm excelling as a teacher and getting my master's degree and doing all these things. You have all of these other higher level roles than just an educator. And that is inspiring to kids because they're like, well, you know, if my teacher had this and she struggled with something, but to her, it wasn't a struggle and she overcame. And now she's doing all these awesome things in life. Like that's something I can do. And definitely want to get into this more when we get into our last part, but yeah, the push for college, that narrative needs to really end because it's problematic so A, with the, what college costs, trying to get in, the competition, mm-hmm. um, not everyone can get a decent career out of, mm-hmm. you know, their college degree. And this um, other like way of becoming an adult in the world is there's so many options for work and there's options for like really important critical work. And like, look at your student who's like, I just like to do this. How can that become a career? And it became a career as a crane operator and making a lot of money because it's a very specific, Mm -hmm. dangerous, hard skill. And when you hone that skill, you are going to then be needed in society and you're Mm going to be able to get like a job anywhere. So that's an awesome, awesome story. And my dog is barking in the background. This happens sometimes during episodes. It's just, hey, it's part of being human. It's our homes. Yeah, it's, it's, you know what? I, I tell the kids all the time, life's not perfect. You can have perfect moments and you can have everything lined up. And then I I told my students the first day I was actually in front of a room full of kids for the first time as the teacher, I tripped over my own two feet, slammed into a desk. And then I I just kind of put my elbow down and like my hand on my hip. And I said, so who's ready to learn English? And the kids like started cracking up and I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I, I totally know what's going on right here. And like from that moment on, the kids just like, I knew felt like yeah. it was going to just be a weird year. And I, it was hysterical. And I, but just it makes it happen. It makes the environment feel more at ease. Like, I think it breaks the ice a little bit. I mean, you did that. Obviously, it was like that just happened, but I've done that too, where I've like run into my desk or something or spilled coffee on me before class starts. 
but it does humanize the classroom and it doesn't feel so rigid and so professional and like moving away from like the sage on the stage like I'm the expert and know everything and I'm going to dictate this is my classroom you're just in it instead of like this is a space for all of us and if we do goofy things or things happen or we make mistakes like that's okay it's kind of like I always see education and like the classroom as like a lab and we're all just kind of experimenting like we're experimenting with life we're experimenting with what we're learning how we learn what we game from one another and to me that makes it really fun because you just Mm -hmm. it is part of like teaching you never know what's going to happen on like a daily basis so kind of getting into my next part because I think this is (laughs) whoa share and I think uh after this the listeners are going to be like wow you are a rock star I can't believe all of this happened and you just kept going so the pandemic yeah (laughs) how is that for you as educator but also in your life one word chaos and I mean chaos you might think in life you have a plan and things will just go according to plan and then sometimes things won't go according to plan and that's okay but then there's that slight moment of yeah things are going oh wow things are really not going to plan here um so Leading up to the pandemic, I was pregnant with my first child, and and it was a girl, and I was due in April, and I was mm. seeing things on the news saying COVID, 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 and I mean, when I was younger, you would see different things like swine flu and, and different stuff happening within the news, and you'd say, okay, like, that's that's a big deal. But you don't necessarily think it's going to impact your life on such a huge scale. Mm-hmm. And yet, the world shut down. But just before the world decided to shut down, it was March 11th, and I was working in city schools, and this New York City became one of the epicenters for all yeah. things COVID, and the hospitals were so brutally hit, and massive, massive kudos to the nurses and doctors who worked mm-hmm. around the clock with no information, little information to make sure people stayed safe and well. And it was a month before I was due. And I stood up when I was teaching and realized, nope, I got to sit back down. Something's wrong. And at that point, I was teaching my classes, sitting in a chair, and the kids go, Miss, something's wrong. You're gray. Like, mm. your your skin is gray. Do you know that? And I said, guys, I'm fine. It's fine. And I, I just sat back in the chair, and I I couldn't move at all and then there became a point in the day where I realized yes something is really 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 wrong and I called the doctor and the doctor said well you you can't come in you have COVID and I go what are you talking about that I have COVID I'm I'm pregnant I'm in my like last I'm going to my last month like can someone please take a look at me and she goes no don't come in come in in two days if everything's you know calms down we we don't know what's going on right now and I heard phones going off and stuff I said okay I'm just going to take a breath. My co-teacher actually had to drive me home in my car and I made him drive past the hospital thinking that my water was going to break or something was going to happen because I just didn't feel right. And then at 10 o'clock at night, my water broke and I called Mm. the doctors and they were like, are you sure your water broke? I'm like, yeah, I think so. We get to the hospital and it's just a war zone. 
and things are going crazy. You see sirens and beeping and security. They're throwing a mask at me. They're like, here, put this on. You're in danger. I'm like, what are you talking about? They they mm. just pushed me into the hospital and said, okay, go, go to this floor. I go to that floor. They're like, what are you doing here? This is not the floor. You have to be on there. And, and I'm, I'm pretty, pretty big. My water broke. So I'm having contractions. And they didn't cover any of this in the parenting class about the world <laughs> shutting down. So that would have been a good thing for them to, you know, mention. Um, so I gave birth via emergency C-section as the hospital shut down. Wow. And I slowly watched the world shut down from inside a hospital with just my phone. I had no TV. I couldn't really see what was going on. And all I kept seeing was panic, shock, fear, problems. And I didn't even get a chance to say goodbye to my kids because I was just about mm -hmm. to go on maternity leave. And I'm like, what, mm -hmm. what is happening? And all I would hear in the hospital with my premature newborn on my lap is code blue, tower, whatever. And you knew what that meant. And mm -hmm. it was just persistent. And I counted about 20 different <laughs> times. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty traumatic here. This is, this is something else. And yeah. one nurse eventually came in and she goes, I'm turning this off. You can't keep hearing this. Like no. well, if there's an emergency. Well, and you were by yourself? Um, so my husband was able to come in and out of the hospital because they didn't know what to do with him. Yeah. Things were shutting down. I saw all the major roads closing and from my phone, I, I was just getting what people were telling me and what I could see. I, I really couldn't see much. And also I'm recovering from major surgery while holding a premature yeah. infant on my lap. And I heard a glimmer of hope and I heard New York city schools are shifting to online learning. And I said, okay. So I called my assistant principal and I said to her, hey, who's covering my classes? She goes, what? I'm like, yeah, I, I just gave birth last night. Who's covering my classes? <laughs> and she You're goes, calling oh, the school yeah. the next day. She said, well, I called out the next day. And then I sent them an email for something in the morning saying, guess what, guys? I'm going to be up for a while. And it was mayhem, panic, chaos. No one knew which yeah. one was up. People were getting sick. People were coughing and someone was freaking out. And they told me, everyone's teaching from home. And I said, so if everybody's teaching from home and you didn't get anyone to cover me, can I work still? Can I still teach? And they just said, I don't see why not. Like, I guess so. And I get home from the hospital with my daughter across my lap and I made a video for my classes. And I said, hello, everyone. As you know, I was very sick that last day you saw me. Well, my daughter decided to come into this world early in the middle of a pandemic. So now instead of having one teacher, you have two. And I held her up and the kids were freaking out and screaming, oh my God, she got the baby. And I taught with her across my lap. Wow. And if you looked at my desk, it had, I had bottles, I had diapers, I had all these different things around me because I also couldn't really move after a C-section. That's yeah. it's major That's surgery. That's major surgery. Yeah. And I just, I kind of had to just fight through it. I didn't really know what else to do other than be supportive and be there. And I had students around me saying, I think at one point I had one in three students who had lost someone to COVID in my class, in one of my classes. Yeah. And to have one in three, I teach 35 kids. So people were losing someone left and right and there was a lot of trauma a lot of chaos and in those moments sometimes it's very hard to think and figure things out and at the same time we need to find the courage within ourselves 
to stand up and say, okay, I'm going to be a lighthouse. And you might say, be a lighthouse? Like, what, what is she talking about? Mm -hmm. But you have to be a beacon within the chaos to show, hey, don't crash into the shoreline. Don't get yourself in a situation where you really can't pull yourself out of it. Don't put yourself in toxic or negative situations if you can prevent it. There could be a lot of speculation, but with the widespread chaos that came as a result of COVID, it may be hard to say, oh, this could have been prevented. Can it have been prevented? Probably. At the same time, it couldn't have been prevented, and it did happen. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional. But at the same time, there's different things that people could have done in terms of responding mm -hmm. differently. And yes, things were very hard. And, and my students, I wish I could have gone to each and every one of their houses and sat with them and said, hey, let's let's still figure things out because your life is not derailed just because school went online and things don't have to change. You don't have to stop learning because of COVID. And yes, a lot of students went to online school, but so many people just started giving up because mm -hmm. it's like, well, the world shut down. Like what now what in my life? Yeah. And yes, go through those emotions, understand things. And I'm not saying this to poo-poo or disregard anyone's feelings or, or losses or traumas. It does get better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sometimes it can take 10 years to get better. Sometimes you need to, instead of saying, okay, I'm going to go to college right after high school, sometimes you need to take a break. Sometimes you need to step back and help and support your family. And at the same time, keep reading or keep pursuing something that will bring you joy. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't do that, if you don't do something for yourself, if you don't do something to build yourself up, you're going to knock yourself down. And there was a quote I found when I was going through some very tough times when I graduated high school and I was starting college. And I really didn't have teachers who I could have called up and said, hey, I'm going through some tough times. Mm -hmm. What do I do? And social media was not that common back then. And I found this quote that said, rock bottom became the solid foundation in which I rebuilt my life. And I kept that on my folder. Mm -hmm. And I said, today's not great. Tomorrow's not looking too great either. One day, I'm going to build the world I really really hoped for and slowly but surely it came true mm -hmm. and not just from me sitting still and I tell my students all the time it takes hard work it takes discipline it takes determination because right now you can go on your phone and you can do whatever you want you can sit in class and say this is boring whatever I tell my students all the time math was not my favorite subject and yet I would sit in math class and I'd be disciplined and I'd study and I'd try because I knew in order to get to becoming an English teacher and a mom and all these other beautiful things mm -hmm. I wanted in my life, I needed to do the hard stuff first. We can do hard things. We can do the stuff that we never could have imagined would happen and we can get through it. Mm. And when you're going through chaos, such as the pandemic or, or other things in life, it can be rough. And you might think, well, there's no way out of this but there's always a light within you. 
And sometimes we need to change course a little bit or get a little bit more general or do something as a hobby until something works out. Mm -hmm. But things are possible. It's just a matter of time. And I used to say in high school that I wanted to publish a book and I knew writing was hard. And then as I got older, I worked hard at it. And then I published four books. Wow. And that's amazing. Thank you. And when I, I told one student about it, she goes, wait, like, like book books, like real, real books. I'm like, yeah, book books. And she's like, book books, book books. <laughs> and she just sat there like in disbelief. I'm like, you can do it too. If you want to mm -hmm. do this, you can do it. I and I tell the kids all the time, as long as you're not hurting yourself or hurting other people, do what makes you happy. This is like our first conversation. I'm just going to be really honest. Like, I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm going to be like, no, I'm going to be like the host right now. That's like, uh, I have so many things to say, yet I have nothing to say. And that right there just shows how powerful your story is because it's it's incredible like I'm I'm listening to you and it's not just your story just the way you're you're talking and making these connections between you and what you're going through and your students it's just um it's very special like it's not you're not like a a human a lot of people come across I mean I mean that like I say that and especially teachers and like I've I've interviewed and again what people need to do with their lives. It's what they need to do with their lives. But I'm, I've interviewed teachers who have left their profession mm -hmm. or just really shared about a lot of the challenges of the pandemic, the challenges of just teaching in general. You know, when we get to education reform, just a lot of the problems, but then we want to come up mm -hmm. with the solutions. But my goal for this project, this podcast, and just the work I want to continue to do is almost like finding these special humans and sharing their story because it's just incredible. Like the inspiration's incredible. And it's very easy to, and I, I will admit, I was the person during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, that was very angry, mm -hmm. very frustrated. And I didn't even go through that much. Like besides teaching online, you know, I'm fortunate. I didn't have anyone get really, really sick in my life. I didn't mm -hmm. lose anyone. I had some students that did. Mm -hmm. um, our home life was pretty much, you know, yeah, we were locked in our home, but like, mm -hmm. I didn't really go through that much and I was frustrated and I was angry and I was, I got caught up in the chaos. I got mm -hmm. caught up in the tit for tat and like what's right and wrong. And like, they're not doing this right. They're not doing this right. And all of the news media got me into this like tornado mm -hmm. and it didn't take until I had almost like I didn't have a rock bottom completely, but I had some people leave me in my life, some good mm -hmm. friends. And now it's like, it's a gift. <laughs> I see mm -hmm. it as, but until like 2021, really the height of 2022, I didn't get it. Like I was in that tornado and for you to have a baby literally at lockdown yeah, and go through all that and then teach when you didn't have to do that, no one would they'd figure out a sub somehow. And I know that would have been challenging, but you cared so much for your students and that you're like, well, I'm at home and I'm going to be human and I'm going to have my baby on the lap. And we have two teachers now and making still like this, like fun kind of joyful experience with your students online. I, I just, it's very admirable. It's, I, I don't know how you do it. I think you're a very special person because it's a light. It's a light that you have and your students that get to 
learn from you and get to, you know, collaborate with you as a teacher, they're very lucky, like very, very lucky. Yeah. Um, it's just inspiring. And everything you're saying is, is like what we need to be sharing with our students on a daily basis. But it is hard sometimes as an adult, when we're going through hard things for us to be there yeah. completely for our students, it like, we have to normalize, like, it's okay for us not to be okay. Like, it's okay for the teacher not to be inspiring every day or, you know, I remember the one thing I did actually appreciate about the lockdown when we were on Zoom together was we just talked. Like, there were times where like, we're not, I'm not going to just teach a history lesson. Mm -hmm. We did what we needed to get done. And luckily my school allowed us to like pause on the grades. Like Mm -hmm. we could end the year grade with third quarter and just fourth quarter was like, if you did well, we'll add it in. If not, it's okay. And I thought that was such a great way to have grace with the kids and with the teachers too. But we just talked and we shared. And I was probably the most honest and vulnerable I've ever been as a teacher, which now that comes out sometimes in the classroom. Now, I think it was a way that the pandemic, a silver lining humanized me as a teacher Mm -hmm. and brought some of what you're doing and what you were doing even before the pandemic Um, I'm now, you know, having those conversations with kids because I see teaching so much more than I'm teaching history or psychology. I'm like, I'm literally, I'm trying to just be there with you as a human and give you maybe a glimpse into the future that everything's going to be okay. And you can do what you want to do, even if it has this long, windy, squiggly road, it's okay. Cause that's part of life too. It's the adventure to get there. Um, it's just a really beautiful message. So thank you for sharing that. I still can't believe you went through all of that. And it's it's something else. Let me tell you. It's something else. (laughs) So I know we've already been talking about this, but like for you, especially like what are key areas of education in general? And you can even just focus on like what you see in your one particular school or region that we really can shift and change to really bring education where it needs to be in this time period like almost like maybe what can we learn from the pandemic or take away but anything that comes to mind and maybe it's just the work that you're doing maybe we just need to learn from you and you could be like a teacher mentor to the rest of us well do you have about six hours for me to go through my entire <laughs> thought process and plan of how, what we can do to not just reform it because there, there's so many people who say let's reform education and that's yeah. awesome yes let's change things but we have to disrupt education. We have to just take things and just get nuts. And I'm not saying get nuts in necessarily a negative way, but really shift things. Because mm-hmm. the population of students we have now is not the population of students we've always had. So there needs to be some pretty revolutionary, different things within this world that can really push education forward. And we need to do things in a way that embraces students' gifts and talents and passions and things that get them excited because we're also looking at these phones and Mm -hmm. TikTok. And I had a student who was looking at some video on TikTok in class and I said, what are you doing? And it was a video of people just slapping each other in the face. And I said, what are you Mm -hmm. learning from that? And he just laughed at me. He goes, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like okay like that's 
That's interesting. And I'm not saying phones are the downfall because phones mm -hmm. can create so many different opportunities and connect us and, and bring us together. I think, well, first things first, we need to, as a society, build a sense of inner peace within ourselves. And I think in order to really reform, and I say that in quotes, education, we need to start with the peace part of it, looking at the soul, looking at, looking within ourselves and reflecting, how can I be a better person for me? How can I be yeah. a better person for friends, for family, for whomever? And then work from there. Second thing we need to do is look at curriculum. Where are mm -hmm. we giving those elements of student choice? Where are we giving those yeah. moments for kids to explore and make mistakes and do goofy things where they're not going to be penalized for it? Where they're going to be like, wow, like you did this thing and it's awesome. But this is not what the prompt says. You're not going to get judged for this. But at the same time, let's try and rework things a little bit. Yeah. This though, keep this though. Don't, don't, don't get rid of this. We need those moments. And yeah. we need that spark of joy and happiness in school again. Yeah. Those like, haha, silly moments. Those, you know, students, for example, years ago, the one who thought he was Tony Montana and talking about Salami Sundays. The ones who are eager to just do fun, cool, exciting, different things. The ones who can find it in themselves to accept themselves in this given moment and find that peace and then bring themselves out into the world. Because let's face it, mm -hmm. sometimes humans can be mean. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people can do things that aren't so nice. I've had people in my life who, the second my book was published, yelled at me and said, why are you publishing a book? That's that's not what you're supposed to be doing. But say I that. Like, I was like, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to do this wrong? Like, I don't know, my name's on it. I don't see any errors. I was like, what? what? Uh -huh. And then I realized it was like a point of jealousy. Yeah. And I was like, oh. And I said, wait, so there really isn't anything wrong with me. It's just something that that person's going to go through and grow through and one yeah. of my favorite sayings is grow through what you go through because mm -hmm. we're always growing we're always building and if we bring that i feel like if we bring and i'm full of my i'm not an expert but if we bring that mindset into life and education and raising a family and being a parent and doing all these different things maybe we'd have a different world do something that will really make you happy not for others Maybe you're creating something for somebody else, but do something to bring yourself happiness. And I think that's like the big thing. And I think that's the thing that the pandemic taught us. Teachers teach us all the time. We teach ourselves all the time. And I think sometimes it's something we have to remind ourselves. Just do the thing. Mm -hmm. Figure it out. It'll look great. It won't look great. You never know. You never know until you try. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I love that quote too. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like we need to humanize education I, like humanize like so many areas of the society, but listening to this, it reminds me of, I was listening to some like spiritual podcasts because I'm into those now. Yeah. Um, so about, this is like an age of consciousness. Um, mm -hmm. It's like a neo Renaissance, which I, I can see that and feel mm -hmm. it because there's so many breakthroughs coming through from the pandemic that we can learn from. And I think we have to not just say, let's like reform and try this new thing. Like, okay, maybe we take away tests or maybe 
we add a little meditation in the classroom and we're just adding things and thinking like we're innovative and getting better. And we are at a critical point and it's not easy, mm -hmm. but it's going to have to be a system shift, yeah. just like all of our systems, justice system, mm -hmm. healthcare system, political system. And it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to happen oh. overnight. It may be like, I'm hoping in my lifetime, but maybe it's what we start to work on. I always talk about ripples is the ripples for the next generation. So maybe like by the next generation, really some of those system shifts will happen. So like I envision mm -hmm. a school system because just my little world and focus is mm -hmm. education. It's always been my passion is it is not a system to create workers. It's not industrial revolution. It's not, mm -hmm. we need these people doing this in society. It is education is a human right. It's part of your human development. Mm -hmm. It is nurturing your soul, your, your passion, your cognitive abilities, your artistic abilities, all of that. But it's about how do you become more of a human? And through the educational experience, becoming more of a human means exploration, having mm -hmm. space and time to find yourself and be guided by educators, advisors, counselors, even administrators. We're all facilitating those conversations of how do you find yourself? How do you see your light and your spark? Now within that, what are the areas that we have within a school system that we're going to give you choice. Like you're like, mm -hmm. I'm really into drawing or I'm really into building things or I'm really into doing detective work and like putting the puzzles together. Okay, here are the things that we have created mm -hmm. that we can offer you and you can dive into. And then maybe a couple of years later, you're like, but now I'm like really into maybe trying out writing music or whatever. And it's about trying things on. And then when you get to... 12th grade and you're 18 years old and about to go into the world and you are graduating from this educational experience. Now you're a legal adult. You've tried some things on. You mm -hmm. still might not know what it is that you're going to do as far as like work making money. Mm -hmm. And the work making money doesn't have to be also your mission in life and your passion yeah. in life. So it's also having the conversation of, hey, maybe this is a really great career where you're, you know, you can make a good salary mm -hmm. and you can have your own apartment, home, whatever, support a family. And you're like, but I really am driven into activism, right? I'm really driven into writing music mm -hmm. and you do that as well. And then maybe that also becomes, you know, a place where you can make money. Cause again, I'm not an economic person. I think that's yeah. a system shift too, the economy and all of that, but we're still going to be dealing with currency. We're still going to need to pay for things. Mm -hmm. So the reality in the education system is we still need to set you up for like skill learning mm -hmm. and here are things where you can use skills to make money so you can survive, right? Mm -hmm. That still needs to be there. But I think it needs to be more about how are you developing into a person? Mm -hmm. How are you finding your joy? And when you find your joy and you find your inner peace, you automatically then like want to give back to community because you want to share it. You yeah. want to share it with the world. Like when you have inner peace with yourself and you feel like, oh, I know my gift, I know my light, you're not like just wanting to keep that here or like, I just want to climb a ladder to make like X, Y dollars. Mm -hmm. You're like, I want to share that in my 
writing, writing a book. I want to share that in my activism. I want to share that in the music or the play that I'm writing, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And then you're already giving back to the community because giving back to the community isn't just community service, yeah. doing charity work. It's art, right? It's mentorship. It's mm -hmm. building. It's whatever that is, that skill and that passion that you have. And so I feel like they do a lot of this in elementary school yeah. and then we lose it come middle school. And even yeah. by like seventh grade, we are still in the mindset of we have to check all these boxes. You have to have all this on your transcript because this is what's going to get you into college or these are the credits you need to have in order to graduate, to do whatever. So if we took away the college thing and said, that's mm -hmm. still an option for people, yeah. then why do you need all these credits in all these subjects by the, by, by the time you get to 12th grade? Like if I'm going to go into construction or go into the art field or go into, mm -hmm. like, why would I need four credits of math or four yeah. credits of science or what, whatever that is? Like, what if I need credits in just the things I'm interested in? And that's going to help me then advance to the next level in whatever that industry is. And so it's doable. Yes. But I think what scares people at the top is that our system is so huge and it's mm -hmm. been this way for like over a hundred years mm -hmm. that we don't know where to begin. Yeah. And I think the first place is conversations. And I would love to see more teachers having access to policy work. Mm -hmm. And that's like another part of like this podcast is kind of the beginning, but my mission mm -hmm. is like people like you, people like me and other wonderful teachers I've talked to actually having a voice and connection to people that are doing policy work in education and then actually listening to us and maybe infusing and doing little bits of this system change because it it's important like you can't just listen to politicians you can't mm -hmm. just listen to people that have been in a government job forever even if maybe they were in education 20 years yeah. ago like you need the active teachers right now having access to people making these decisions. Cause right now, again, that's a system shift. We're not making decisions. Mm -hmm. We're not. And I think things can be phased in because if we say collectively, okay, we're gonna change education. Awesome. How, why, what, when? Like we need to answer a lot of questions. And I think when you put teachers at the table and parents and people who didn't have a traditional high school, middle school, elementary upbringing, people from different countries, from different languages, from different ideas, from different worlds, something can be built. And if we start to phase things in, or we say, okay, phase one, we're going to try, like I, I'm a very big advocate for leadership and empowerment. I think that everyone should have leadership skills or be shown leadership skills. And that doesn't mean that you lead necessarily a country, but mm -hmm. you can lead a small community group, a book club, your family, whatever. You can do whatever, build whatever. We do phase one of fusing something in, piloting something. Like, for example, there have been studies about like four-day work weeks. Okay, that had to go through a pilot study. Then mm -hmm. we're checking, okay, well, well, is this working? How do we know it's working? When something's not working, do we know it's not working? And yes, you'll see problems right away, but some problems you won't see right away. You might get to phase four of something and say, whoa, we have to go back and, and change something. Where did this go wrong? We're using a lot of data and we're using a lot of different numbers in the system. 
And that's great. However, what are we doing with those numbers? What are we mm -hmm. doing with that data? Are we taking that data and saying, wow, look, there's an 82% graduation rate. Awesome. Well, what about the other 18%? Mm -hmm. I think I did the math right. So what about the other 18%? You know, what, what's happening to those 18%? And I, I spoke with an education administrator a while ago, and he told me, and he, he's a superintendent, and he said, we have 95% graduation rate. The other 5%, ugh. And I said, what is that? Ugh. Mm. What, what, what's mm -hmm. going on there? And he goes, yeah, those kids are, are just struggling. And I mean, it's a lost cause. And I was like, whoa. Like, yeah. you are talking to someone and you have no clue who I am, what context I'm in. And I, I said to him, well, maybe you should focus on the 5%. Maybe you should look at the 5% and see well, what's happening to those 5% of kids who are not passing because something's going on that they're not graduating. Because I don't think, and this is just my opinion, but I don't think anybody wakes up and says, you know what? I'm not going to try today. Like actively not try. And then the next day they just keep saying, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try. There's something that's triggering that I don't feel like doing this. I'm not going to go to my math. I'm going to cut my math class or my English class, or my science, whatever, because I don't want to X, Y, and Z. There is something along that child's life, and maybe we'll be able to find it as a team, as as problem solvers. But sometimes we don't know. Mm -hmm. So let's sit down, speak with families. Don't contact the child and the parent and say, you know your kid's not going to school you contact mm -hmm. them like, hey is is everything okay yes what resources do you need come how about you guys come into the school and let's talk and i think if school leaders started doing that yeah because many teachers call and sometimes i think when kids get letters home or phone calls home and says this is from the principal they they sit up and go yeah. oh no but let's build that conversation let's build that community school should be be, they should be lighthouses in the community. They should be the mm -hmm. ones saying, we're working, we're helping the community, we're building things, we're creating things. You want help? You don't know where to go in terms of a resource? Come on down to the school. Let's take a look at it. Because you never know what you can create unless you talk about it. Like you said, the conversations. Let's have these conversations and then let's act upon these. And it's awesome that politicians and local lawmakers are trying to build different initiatives within schools. Let's all work together. Yeah. Different stakeholders as you can bring to the table, mm -hmm. including students too. And if you bring the parents, the students, the teachers, the counselors, the administrators, the school board members, the local representatives yeah. at the same table, mm -hmm. all sharing their perspective. Mm -hmm. And actively listening and really being open to taking in suggestions and then compromising, mm -hmm. then everyone feels empowered because everyone knows they're not going to get exactly what they want, mm -hmm. but they're going to know that my voice was heard mm -hmm. and suggestions were, you know, um, possibly like will be new initiatives mm -hmm. and we'll all do this together. And even if it's just a little change for the next year, everyone feels like they're going into a community that they all have buy-in, they mm -hmm. all take part in it. And it's not dictated because a lot of the school system is still very punitive 
Mm -hmm. And it's very about you did this wrong or you did this wrong. And it's not coming from a place of compassion of like, wait, how can I support you? What's going on? We need to have conversation about the root and not putting band-aids on or just punishing or it's all about competition. Like, look at these stellar students. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, here are these students who really aren't doing well. And then we get a whole chunk in the middle to get lost and mm -hmm. kids fall through the cracks. And if, again, we come from, a place of everyone's part of this conversation of like, what do we want to see in school? Mm -hmm. And definitely having student voice, like knowing you're not going to get everything you want. You're not going to have like yes. a napping period for an hour, right? You're not going to have, you know, like roller coasters in the back of the school, yeah. whatever like, their ideas would be. But that they can, if they feel like they're taken seriously, mm -hmm. they can come up with some amazing ideas. Like just Recently in my psychology class, because we finished a unit on learning, I had them journal about the future, mm -hmm. future school. And they didn't think these outlandish mm -hmm. ideas that would just never be possible. They like literally started with what you and me are talking about. I want life skills classes. I want mm -hmm. choice and curriculum starting in, mm -hmm. if not ninth grade, at least 10th grade, not 12th yes. grade when I'm about to graduate. I would like to have more space in my schedule to actually just like have some downtime, but also like see my teachers or do the work that I need to. Cause I have way too much homework outside of school. Like yeah. these are things that we actually can do like next year Yeah, and they're not big ass. And they just, even if they saw one of those things change next year. So one thing we are doing next year is to bring life skills, um, minors to our program. Awesome. And that one little thing that is super manageable I can see the kids being like, oh my gosh, they're listening to us. We've mm -hmm. been saying this for years. And it was yeah. actually an alumni that came back saying, that's one thing I wish our school had were these life skill classes. You do one little thing like that each year and you're listening to students, they're just going to have so much more buy-in and feel yeah. like, wow, someone takes me seriously because ultimately we're doing it for them yes we already went through it and it was crappy you know like we already went through it the admin already went through it the parents already went through it the kids are in it yeah. so why aren't we asking them for what they would like to see in school and again being reasonable and things that you know are compromise compromises we can make and I just would like to see exactly what you're talking about more just infusing joy infusing this sense of agency, the sense of like, can I be a human here? Can people just listen to me and have choice in what I want to learn and have this sense of passion? Um, and it's not rocket science and it's not, yeah. that does not need to take 10 years to change yeah. it, you know? So I don't know. I I'm starting this kind of journey of it's hard. Nobody gets back to you, but I'm at least trying to, um, start reaching out to policymakers mm -hmm. and like sc local school board members. And I'm in a private school. So mm -hmm. just even like within my own town yeah. and representatives and trying to like find a way to like, can we meet to have like a conversation? Can we, you know, maybe you want to be interviewed, but maybe you just want to, just to start like picking their brains, but also like, I want to know more about the system. Cause like, mm -hmm. I still feel like I'm very much, I'm in it but I am like on the outside and don't fully understand why it's so difficult to make these changes. So like, I feel like I want to do some investigative work <laughs> and find out what is going on behind the scenes and all this and, and not come in, in a place of like, I'm here to disrupt it and crash mm -hmm. it all down. But like, tell me about it. Mm -hmm. Tell me about this work. 
let me share with you like my perspective and ideas as a teacher and what my students tell me. Mm-hmm. How can we like somehow work together and just starting local? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, it starts with having those conversations. Absolutely. You're I'm doing it with your students all the time. I try. And I, I started reading a lot more about trauma-informed education mm-hmm. and how adverse childhood experiences can create cardiac issues and all these different things. And you would think, well, something like going through a negative experience, can that necessarily cause my body harm? Yes. Traumatic experiences that people are going through now that are not being addressed in policies, that are not being addressed in education can have a lasting impact. And I think if we start by looking at current research, looking at the classrooms, talking to the teachers, like you said, talking to administrators, seeing where the holes and the gaps are, looking at quantitative data, looking at qualitative data, looking at everything, the whole picture, and it's hard to get the whole picture sometimes, mm-hmm. but looking at trends and really looking at why, how, what's going on, inviting people into class, policymakers into classrooms to see mm-hmm. what things are actually like, that can make the difference. And I feel, and this is just one person's perspective, if we start with trauma-informed education and looking at, wow, everyone just went through this collective trauma of Mm COVID-19, and that's going to change a lot. What are we doing as a result? Because some of the kids I have in my school, the last time they were in school is when they were in sixth grade. And now they're in ninth grade, 10th grade, and they're acting, acting, quote, quote, like middle schoolers. Mm -hmm. or elementary school students in different settings something's going on and we can yell and stomp and scream and cry and whatever but we need to look at things from a solution-oriented perspective Mm -hmm. talking to those policymakers, building things within classrooms embracing community members and teachers and leaders and saying hey it's okay to be human let's try something not just throw it away two seconds later Mm -hmm. let's look at our values Let's look at our mission. Let's look at our vision. What can we create and what realistically can we create? What can we try? What can we build? And then do the thing. Yeah. And build. And then who knows? And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah. So what? It's an experiment. Yeah. But everything's an experiment. And so, yeah, I think we need to take calculated risks. I think we are playing it too safe still in schools. I think just keeping status quo is playing it safe. And we just need to take calculated risk and trying one new thing at a time. And if we actually have people coming together and sharing that relationship building and building bridges mm-hmm. between the different people, then it creates this sense of like, oh, this actually can change because yeah. now we're all sharing our voices and it matters. It's not just like we're just being told what to do because, but we need to challenge it a little bit. It's that disruption. So I think more and more teachers standing up and saying, you know, this has been this way for a long time and really it's not working. Can yeah. we, can we talk about it? Can we talk about some things we can do differently? Like, can we talk about like eight classes in a day is just not yeah. sustainable. Can we talk about like homework for eight classes or whatever, six classes a day is just not sustainable for children mm-hmm. and testing and all that. And like, what are like those tweaks we can make for next year and the next year and the next year until maybe over time that becomes like the system shift 
because I don't think it's going to completely collapse and then we just rebuild. I mean, that yeah. we don't want that to happen either because no, we no. have to live in it at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I talked to many teachers early on. This was like last spring when everything was like, ah, transition teacher, get me out of here, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, rightfully so for people who had to oh, yeah. have a new career track. But a lot of the tone was, that's why I had to get out of some of these circles. And like, I wanted to do something uplifting and positive, but it was, it's just all going to collapse. Like the whole, the whole system's going to collapse. And maybe that's what needs to happen so that it can be different. And I'm like, no, that actually can't happen mm -hmm. because there's people in it, you know? And I still care about the people in it, the students, the parents of the students, the teachers that want to stay in it, at least for whatever time being. Mm -hmm. So internally, we got to figure out these small shifts for maybe the big system shift. Mm -hmm. And over time, like, again, it might be the next generation. Maybe it is this place of joy mm -hmm. and exploration and choice and agency and all of that. I mean, I, I believe that can happen. Well, keep the foundation, renovate the house. Yeah, I love. Oh, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yes, I love that. That's exactly how we should see. Um these shifts mm -hmm. yeah because even, can't get rid of the whole house because then what are no, we gonna do even if you look i i've seen pictures of natural disasters where houses are demolished and i look at those pictures and say that's really sad those people are gonna really need to rebuild and the foundation's there so not yeah. all is lost and in education yeah. the teachers are there the students are there let's inspire let's create let's do we can't shut down the system of education or the prison system or the political system or the agriculture system and go well we'll look at this next year no we're all living yeah. we're all doing let's keep the foundation whatever that may look like and let's renovate yeah what's the difference of adding some new windows maybe we need some new doors some fresh sheetrock who knows mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Speaking I love that of course <laughs> that's a great way to end this I love it keep the foundation renovate the house yeah uh, that might be the title of this uh episode <laughs> Allison <renovate> <laughs> you're so wonderful um thank you and you're not too far away from I'm in Jersey you're mm -hmm. in New York we should meet up sometime and have yes. some coffee because I yes. would love to meet you in person and and be in this light, this aura that you have coming <laughs> off of you. It's so, so amazing. Yeah. So um, for our listeners, is there any information you want to share about your, where people can find you or any contact information? I'll put that in the show notes. Please, please, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm under Allison Teicher Farbach. Um, I love having education conversations, whether it's text, Zoom, whatever you'd like, phone call. If you're in New York and you know, want to get coffee, just say, Hey, like, why don't we go get some coffee and talk education? Sure. Why not? Like, let's start building. Let's start creating. Let's start doing the thing. Let's start getting groups of teachers and leaders and parents yeah. and everyone together so we can start to renovate the house. I love it. Maybe this is a coalition that will start. <laughs> all <laughs> carpenters, the house. all uh, abilities welcome. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much. And thank this you. has just been such a joy. I love your story. It is amazing. And you have such energy and such humor. Um, you. you know, my cheeks kind of hurt <laughs> in parts of laughing so much. So I really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome.
Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices. <music>